We as a church, we're going through the book of Romans, so you can turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 1, and we're going to start talking this morning about what's wrong with the world today. We're going to figure it out. We're going to figure it out this morning. What's wrong with the world today? Uh, It it depends who you ask, obviously, Uh, but some would say it's those greedy, wealthy people. Um, not myself, of course, but it's those greedy, wealthy people, the rich, that are sticking it to us, all us uh, normal people, uh, and they are what's wrong with the world today. Others would say drugs. Um, even in, in our last years <clears throat> in our country, uh, the drug use has skyrocketed. I wonder why. I wonder why. Um, we could talk about that for a while, too. Um, anyways, we'll pass on that. We'll pass on talking about the drug thing. Um, the wealthy, the drugs, maybe some of you are, are more intellectual and you understand economics and you say, oh, it's the banking system. It's a banking system and the federal reserve and how they, you know, they loan money and then they get people indebted and then they, they have to work and you have to work so hard you can't live. That's what's wrong with the world today. Others of you are more uh, morally based and you, you see things maybe in your community and maybe even in your own family and you say, oh, it's the breakdown of the family. Uh, fatherless homes and uh, divorce and uh, the fighting in the home. Others might say pornography itself, uh, the idea that uh, through the internet, um, pornography has become rampant in our culture not just in our culture, but throughout the world. And uh, maybe that is the, what's wrong with the world today. Others of you would say it's big pharma. Or the deep state. Or the divisions uh, politically one with another. Maybe it's taxes. Maybe it's viruses. <laughs> Maybe it's all kinds of different things. There's lists and things that you are thinking of that I didn't mention. It's because I'm not smart enough. This morning, we're going to see what's wrong with the world today. That's people. People. People are the problem with the world today. And it's people and their rejection of God. People and their rejection of God. That's what we're going to talk about today. If you'd stand in honor of God's word, I'd like to read to you from Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. I'm going to be starting to read at verse 18, and I'll read down, uh, down through verse 25. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened. 
Claiming to be wise, they became as fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their heart to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. God, thank you for your word. I ask that you'd give us in this time insight into it, that it would mark our hearts and uh, shape our hearts. God, I pray for repentance uh, in, our, in our congregation this morning, um, not just thinking about those outside, but those inside and what we believe about you, how we follow you, um, and how we walk with you day by day by your strength and according to your purposes for us. God, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So we're in chapter 1, and I, I want to I just say this, that Paul, as he's writing this, he's writing it to Rome. To think about what Rome is, greatest city in the world at this time, maybe four million people, people from really throughout the world, different cities and places have come to Rome because it's the place to be. And Paul's writing to Rome, to the churches in Rome, the, the people that call themselves believers. And in, in my mind, as I think about him writing, he's writing, he starts off uh, this book, wanting to put in place an important piece of theology of this is what I think, this is what God thinks, and he, what, is he, what is he envisioning? He's envisioning Rome. He's envisioning Rome, but everywhere else too. But Rome is in his sights. And so for you this morning, if you can just remember this monstrous, city of biblical times, um, that that would be the picture for you as you see Paul write these words, words for us, but words from God. Last week, um, we really uh, talked much about some of the things in this passage already. Uh, Verse 18 is really the umbrella to this. That the the wrath of God is revealed. That God is showing his wrath. He is is, um, revealing to them what he thinks about their sin and life without him. The wrath of God. And he's, he's targeting, if you can say that, the ungodly, those who have rejected him, and those who morally have rejected him by living however they want to live. And they do this, remembering we talked about the suppressing or the rejecting of the truth. Truth's a a terrible thing sometimes because we got ideas and thoughts and the way we want our world to be. And when the truth doesn't match up to that, we have a problem. And we have one of two options. We give up our position and agree with that which is true, 
or we reject or set aside or push away the truth, suppressing the truth, even as uh, we look at this passage. This morning, we're going to go on. We're going to move on uh, as we've just gone through verse 18, but we're going to see really this progress, this rejection of the truth, how how it grows. And it grows not just from the issues of the heart, it starts there, but it grows to the issues of everyday morality and what happens and what we fill our days with, our thoughts, our words, and our actions. And I just want to tell you that I believe some have marked this as uh, sin for the Gentiles. And then as we finish this chapter, it will be sin for the Jews. But I, I would really say it's probably better to look at this first chapter as this is what sin is for all. And then you go to God's specific people in uh, chapter 2 where you see that. It's not necessary to be so fine either way. Uh, but know that this is a passage for all. In verse 19, we're going to see the God who is plain to see. The God who is plain to see. Uh, now many, many pages and in ink and computers have put a lot of data in over uh, what about the people in the jungles? What about the people in the jungles? And I want to encourage you, as I shared with you a couple weeks ago, that he's not concerned so much about the people in the jungles, unless you're calling it the jungle of Rome, right? That, that he is focusing. But this is true for Rome to the jungles, okay? This is true for all, true for all. And so as we look at this, we see a God who is plain to see. Verse 19, for what can be known about God is plain to them. Uh, I want to point out some things. First of all, that this passage, this passage is clear that God is not hidden. He is known. He is known. He can be known. He is not one that is, you know, it's, it's sad because some people can't see who God is and other people can. And immediately, uh, especially if you're a, um, a little brother or a little sister, you say what? It's not fair. It's not fair. And I, I, I want you to be real careful. I know that philosophically sometimes it's fun to get in those debates and it makes you feel smart. But if you're saying... That God is not fair. If you're starting in that position, uh, you're in a bad position. Uh, you, you can picture yourself uh, in front of the almighty, eternal, all-powerful God, pointing your finger up at him and saying, you're not fair. I don't think that's the position uh, we're going to get into that. I don't think that should be our position in anything we don't understand. But know this, uh, he starts out, he talks about that God can be known, that God can be known. And even not just known, but it's plain to see him. It's plain to see him. It's obvious. You think about um, how there's different things that are hard to see. Uh, I think of, you know, a scavenger hunt or an Easter egg hunt of something like that. And there's purposely things that are hidden. So you can't find them, and it's a, it's a game. And, and this is not true of God. It's plain to see. Not everything about him, 
But what you're going to hear is, is that he can be known and he's plain to see. Plain to see. We move on. We're just adding what we get from this passage. First of all, can be known, plain to see, because God has shown it to them. I want you to get this too. It's as if God is introducing himself in a plain to see sort of way to the degree he wants us to know him. He is showing. He is taking the step. It's not as if man is out there searching and going, oh, I'm going to go introduce myself. You know, no, God is purposed to show himself. He's going to tell us how here in a minute, but know this. Uh, he can be known. He's plain to see. He is showing himself. Um, I, I think that this is exciting, uh, that God would show himself to man. How has he done this? Uh, he, verse 19, because God has shown it to them. Verse 20, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. How do we know if you did not have the Bible, if you were in the jungles, either of Rome or Africa, if you were living in L.A., if you were uh, living out in some forgotten place like Trona or something like that. Somebody's out there. You, some of you don't even know where Trona is. And you, hot vacation spot. You know, places you can find in August. You know, um, you, you, you got to think in terms of if you didn't have a Bible, if you're sitting all by yourself, either in the zoo of a city or out in the middle of nowhere, how would you know God? How would you know that he exists? How would you know anything about him? By what he has made. By what he has made. This is the big problem, uh, both for the scientists, for the God-hater. Uh, it, it's the big mountain, if you will, of wanting to be secular. It's the huge mountain. You say, well, it's, it's not that huge. It's just all evolved. Where'd the stuff come from that it evolved from? Like, where, where'd it come from? How do you get around that in your mind, philosophically? You know, where do you, where do you come up with the stuff to make the stuff? And obviously, as we have seen in creation, it's not just stuff, right? Where's your favorite spot to show the creation of God? The couple. I'm a couple. They come to my mind right away, all the time. Yosemite, Yosemite, and the Pacific, right? I, I grew up in Santa Barbara, you know, I was surfing. No, I wasn't a surfer. Um, too much balance required. Um, but if you stare out at the ocean, it's hard to see the end, right? It's hard to get your head around all that you're seeing, it's hard to imagine the waves just keep coming, and they just keep coming, and they change, and they're different, and there's sands on the seashore, and there's, there's rocks, and you, you look at all this, and you go, just evolved out of nothing from nowhere. That doesn't make sense. 
there must be a some 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 first, right? There, and and what can it? What can I? Wow, to be bigger than the ocean, to be more powerful than the ocean. I love Yosemite. I love going there because Yosemite is um, a great place. You can tire yourself out walking there, but you don't have to. You can take the tram around and you just look. Wow, that's beautiful. Wow, that's beautiful. Wow, that's beautiful. And you look at these things and you realize that even in a sin-tainted world, these are magnificent. And so for us to understand, and I say for us, not for us, for everybody. For everybody. For those who speak English and those who don't. Those who live uh, in a place of spiritual privilege and the scriptures and those who don't. They can look around and see in what has been created. What has been created? And what will they know? Well, uh, it says in verse 20, his invisible attributes, which is kind of a, a play on words type thing, is that like the invisible things that you can't see are shown in what he has made. They're no longer invisible because he has revealed them in what he has made. You understand something enough, I would even say enough, in creation about the creator. And he picks a few things. It it says, um, namely his eternal power and his divine nature. As you think about this, you realize that, that he has revealed both his power and that he is God in what has been seen, a creator, right? Um, it's interesting, inventors or uh, people who make magnificent things these days, engineers and uh, different, um, whatever, whatever is magnificent that we would see, we look at it and we go, wow, that's cool. Who made this? Who made this? And I would even say this, that um, we got to take it one step back. And then when we look at the one who invented it, who made this, right? And where did he get the stuff again, right? Where did he get the stuff? Who, whose stuff did he take to make this? This is the picture for all, for all. And I want you to get the all part too. Romans is a book, salvation for all. The offer of salvation for all, for, for the Greek and the Jew, for the, for the person who lives in the city, but also for the person who lives in the country. It is a gospel for all, good news for all. God has shown in creation his attributes. The creation reveals the creator. We could uh, sit on this these couple of verses and think through both what we know about God and what we see in creation, and we could connect the dots all day long, seeing his magnificent in creation. And I want to tell you this, first of all, I just want to challenge you. If you don't believe in God, if you don't believe in God, and, and when I say, I assume that most of you do because you're here at church on Sunday morning and fellowship hall after Thanksgiving, like you, you could have gone and done something else, right? But uh, most of you believe in God. But the, the idea of you believing in a God who created you and is over you and needs to be worshiped, if, if you don't believe in that, if you don't believe in that, 
you have a problem. You have a problem. What are you going to do with this creation? When you look around, are you going to say, that's neat. Just been there all the time. Sun got up this morning. Hmm. Well, you know, some of you go, well, it didn't really get up this morning, you know. You know, it didn't, didn't like move and stuff like that. Where you would explain it to me and I would say, yeah, but how did that happen? It just happened, okay? Quit asking me questions. <laughs> doesn't sound very scientific to me. But um, we have a problem if we reject God even looking at his creation. We have a problem. And I'd encourage you, um, you're being intellectually dishonest if this morning that you're rejecting God and you say, he has no claim on my life. I'm going to do what I want. It's dishonest intellectually. He's the creator. He has shown his goodness, his uh, magnificence, his deity in creation. Um, he's done this in the... So we see, the, uh, uh, we see God who is plain to see in verses 19 and 20. Moving on to verse, the end of verse 20 and going on to verse 21 through 23. That we are a people... We are a people without excuse, without excuse. Because you, you get this logic, right? Well, if I don't know if there's a God, if I don't know, I am agnostic, like I, I'm not against, but I'm not for, and like I don't know, I haven't come to a conclusion. If you say, you know, I, I, just, I just don't know, I want to tell you, you're saying you don't know, a God that is plain to see, can be known, has revealed himself, has blasted. What's interesting about creation, uh, there's places you wouldn't want to live. You've moved from some of those places. You know, uh, you've, you know I, I remember, so I grew up in Santa Barbara, and they, oh, Santa Barbara's so beautiful and everything. Yeah, it is. But, um, you, you know, one of the most shocking, beautiful things I've seen has, is the sunrise in the desert. Sunrise in the desert. Beautiful. I remember going to seminary, cruising on the 14th freeway and going, that's magnificent. In the Antelope Valley, no less. Right? I'll just leave it at that. God's creation, right? Even his tainted creation in the sense that tainted by sin. And so w- what are we doing? And we come to a place that we people, individuals, but as a people as well, we people are without excuse, without excuse. This idea of without excuse means we have to be held accountable or responsible for what we know. Um, You understand about this, right? Because uh, once again, kids, siblings, You've gone to school, you know. Uh, you say to your teacher, I didn't know. I didn't know it was due on this day. I didn't know I had homework. I didn't, if I knew, then you could put it to me and, you know, fail me. But if I don't know, if I don't know, I'm not listening. Um, if I don't know, if I don't know, then I can't be held responsible. But 
We do know. We do know. We've seen. It's plain to see. For all to see. The Creator has shown Himself in His creation. And so we look back at the end of verse 20. It says this. So they are without excuse. So they are without excuse. And uh, once again, it doesn't say... He doesn't say this guy I'm thinking about or this group of people. But, but you know who he's thinking about? The Romans. And who, who lives in Rome? Everybody lives in Rome. All different nationalities, all different people groups. And they've, they've gathered to the great city. And he looks at all of them and he says, all are without excuse. All. All know that there's a God. All of them. Why? Because he's shown them in creation. How about uh, babies? Have you ever seen the goodness of God and his magnificence in babies? Funny little hands, perfectly formed, and they do this, and their little ears, and no, like they're just magnificent. You just can't imagine. You just go, oh, this just kind of happened. Just tissue, you know, just tissue. No, it's not just tissue. It's a creation of God. Because you see the magnificence in a baby, you can see it goes back to the magnificent creator. So without excuse, going on to verse 21, for although they knew God, meaning, who's he talking about? Well, the Romans, but everybody else, right? They knew God. Everybody knows God. And you say, is everybody, what do you mean by everybody knows God? Everybody knows enough about God to know there is a God. Everybody. Um, you, you never want to mock somebody when you're talking about the issues of faith. You never want to. But has anyone ever told you, I don't believe in God? You lean in, you say, well, I believe in Batman. So he exists. <laughs> it's not about our, it's what is true. What is true? And know, know this, there's an intellectual thing going on in someone's mind who says they don't believe in God. They're going, I get where this is leading. <laughs> if I say, I believe in God, then I got to do something about it. Then I got to figure out who he is. Then I got to get right with him. Then I got to answer to him. Then it's so we go. No, it's just easier. Let's go with this. I don't believe in God. For although they knew him, for although they knew him, verse twenty-one, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. We talked about that last week, and uh, there's this this basic uh, reaction that we should have to an Almighty God. First of all, is to worship him. Worship him, to honor him. And secondly, to because of his creation, we should thank him for that. As we see him provide in creation, we should thank him for that. That's why when you think about food, it's an amazing thing, right? That you have food. That God provided food for you. No, I bought it at Albertsons. With my money. 
God didn't give me any money. Did he give you a bunny? Did he give you an opportunity? Did he give you a job where most of you are unqualified to get? Uh, sorry, to, sorry to break it to you. And you say, well, it was next to, yeah, the other guy wasn't qualified either, okay? But um, myself included. Know this, that there's this basic response as you know God to be over you, that you should worship him and that you should thank him for what he has gifted you with. You see this, um, and, and this is a sad thing because it says, uh, so they were without excuse for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. And, and what you see here is this, that their knowledge led to nothing. Their knowledge led to nothing. They knew something about God, but it led to nothing in their life. And what you're seeing in this passage, and it is, uh, it's heavy and repetitive and uh, spiral, spiral rolling downward um, as we continue to go on, we're seeing what rejecting God looks like and where it ends up for all. So they're without excuse and their knowledge led them to nothing. No worship, no thanks. So what happened to them? What happens to a person who rejects God? It's not so much instantaneously, but what does the path lead to? They saw his individual, in, in, invisible attributes. They saw who he was to a degree. They clearly perceived it. And they knew in verse 21, they did not honor him or give thanks, but... They became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. You you add those words up, and what you hear is this futile, foolish-hearted, darkened, proud fools. Life without God. Life without God. Life without God. If you claim to be wise, it should show. It should show. You, you don't, uh, it's interesting. Um, well, all of us talk to some degree. And we portray ourselves. We think we know stuff. But if you ask any, if I asked any one of you who's a wise person, you could tell me. And you, you would identify people you know, people you've met. You would also be able to say, there's people who are wise sounding, who are foolish livers, right? And their life, their life does not look like the life of a wise person. It's a disaster, but they sound really good. I want to tell you, this is life without God. These people without excuse, this is what their life looks like. It's the idea of futile, it's the idea of a a senseless life. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't produce anything. It's not something that is worth it. And and, and I think it's sobering uh, to to realize that 
they claim to be wise, and yet they're fools. Because most of us want to be wise people. But you've got to ask yourself, what's coming out of my life? And how can I connect the wisdom that, of knowing God that it would produce not a foolish life, but a, a life that bears fruit of a worshiping, a worshiping God and thanking Him for what He has blessed us with. So this is what we get. The rejection of God, uh, the, the God who is plain to see, leave people without excuse. And, and I want to I say this because this is where this is heading. And once again, I think he's thinking of Rome, the temples in Rome. I think he's thinking of the different temples and places, especially Corinth, that he has gone to. And he has seen pagan religions. And you'd say, well... United States, we don't have pagan religion. Yes, we do. It's secularism. It's the idea of setting up life without God. Uh, You don't necessarily go to a temple to worship, though you could make some quick connections of where those temples are, right? Where the stuff happens. But when Paul thought of Rome and these other cities he had gone to, particularly Corinth, He knew that there were pagan gods, and they set up temples, and they had temple prostitutes, and they connected what they believe with their wickedness of uh, the degrading of their bodies and sexual practices. These people are without excuse, and this is what happens. This is where this all leads to. Claiming to be wise, verse 22 They became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, animals, and creeping things. And that's meant to be side by side, the God who is worthy of worship and that which is not worthy of worship. In fact, taking uh, the glory, the magnificence of the Creator... And then looking at his creation and even making creations off his creation and making those the gods that you serve. Doesn't make sense. But this is what happens. This is how the spiral of rejection of God, this is where it leads to. When you exchange the truth about God for a lie uh, that he is not real, he is not to be worshipped, you have to worship something else. It might be yourself, which would be a created being, uh, or it can be something else. But this is what happens for everybody. True wisdom leads to the worship of God. And if you exchange God, if you suppress the truth, if you uh, trade that truth for a lie, uh, you exchange God for a not God, for something that's not God. And you worship a not God when you should be worshiping God. Think about that. It's not that hard. It's not that uh, complicated. Should I worship the almighty, glorious, magnificent, eternal God? Or should I worship some made-up God that looks like one of his creations? 
It's obvious. It's plain to see. I want to tell you that the rejection of God is not... um, I know a lot of philosophy goes on about these things. Of what, you know, who is God and should I worship him and atheism and being agnostic and these different. I know there's a lot of conversations that a lot of coffee has been, uh, you know, drank as they're spoken of these things in a lot of coffee shops. But know this, know this. It's pretty simple. The creator or the creation. It's, it's real simple. But the rejection is, is a simple, it's this thing of going, oh no, there is a God. I know that. I need to know him. I, I should worship him. I, I should thank him, but I don't want to. So I have to reject him. I have to find something else. And so I go some other direction, some made up God. Well, here we see in verses 24 and 25, and I would say even the verses following are going to describe more, more. What happens when you reject the only true God? What happens when you reject the only true God? And this is for the people in Rome, Tachby, all the other great cities throughout the world. This is for all. What happens when you reject the only true God? Verse 24. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their heart to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. These these first words in verse 24, therefore, because of the rejection of man, it says that God gave them up, gave them up. And those are some of the most sobering, frightening words you should read in Scripture. God gave them up. It's not God gave up on them. He didn't. That's the point of the book of Romans. There's a gospel that saves sinners. But God, uh, in his wisdom, when man rejects God, God it's as if God is ab- uh, man is abandoning God. And God says, well, then I'll abandon you. I will leave you to yourself. If you have said you don't need me, you don't want me, you won't acknowledge me, try it on your own. Some of you um, have vivid pictures in your mind where you were, right, before Christ, left to your own devices, the dark places and the dark thoughts that you had the places and things that you did that God allowed you to do. He allowed you to do them. He gave you up to the things that you wanted. And in a most dramatic sort of way, how'd that turn out for you? God uses this abandoning to draw his people to himself, to to show us the the um, embarrassment and the, really the, the bankruptcy of what we are without him. It says, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, 
The word lust, it's just a word that uh, could talk about any kind of passion. Most of the time we see it as some kind of immoral impurity type thing, but that's just the passions that are we want, the things that we want are lusts. And then the impurity has that idea of evil, wickedness, things that probably are related to immorality in some sense. To dishonoring their bodies among themselves. This, this picture, he's going to describe this later. But know that it wasn't just a private thing. It was with others too. And it was, it was a spread like gangrene throughout people. That sin, this is what it does. It wrecks all kinds. And chances are, if you hang out with uh, really good sinners, you'll get really good at sinning too. Because it, it's like dominoes that fall over. This is what God does. He says, if you don't want me, go ahead. Go ahead. He abandons them to themselves. And why once again? Verse 25, because they exchanged the truth of God, about God, for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. He traded the truth for the lie. Why? Why? Why would you trade the truth for the lie? Well, you have to give up. You have to give up your lie to embrace the truth. But why would you trade that which is true that will bear the test of time eternally for lies that will leave you hurting and bankrupt and ruined, even generationally, right? Right? Your bad answer, it won't work for your kids either and your grandkids. You can be a family of generational sins that you're doing the same dumb thing every generation, rejecting God. Don't do it. Embrace the truth. Reject the lie. And then this picture once again of the, and they serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. The picture again is this, this picture of him going through this and going, this is ridiculous, this is terrible, this is awful, this is something that's going to ruin you. But God is great, worthy to be worshipped, the cre- creator. Praise him. Amen. Oh, let it be said. I'm going to give you three things and then uh, we'll take a break for Christmas, not break from church, but a break from Romans. If you've read farther, you know why. But um, we'll pick this back up in the dead of winter, January. Um, So a few things just to close up our time. First of all, remember this. All people see, know, and understand God. All people see, know, and understand God. So what do you tell? uh, How do you respond? How do you talk to someone who says, I'm an atheist? You may not say anything about it, but in your mind, be smiling. Be smiling and say, oh, no, you don't. I know you know about him. You don't like him. You don't like what you see, and you're clinging. You're clinging to whatever that thing is you're clinging. What is that thing you're clinging to, by the way? Why is it so hard for you to believe? Well, you know, this, that, and the other thing. Oh, so that's the thing. Well, it all goes back to the, you know, the sea animals. Oh, the things that he created. Got it. Yeah, got it. Yeah. Um, but, But know this. Know this, that every person, every person, knows about God. 
Remember, it's important. Secondly, know this, that all people are without excuse. All people are without excuse. To, to think about every person that you meet, every person that you've seen a picture of, they know enough to be condemned. They know enough to be held accountable. This is important for us to remember. It's not philosophically um, honest to say they don't know anything. And God's word tells us that they know enough. They're without excuse. And then lastly, a simple lesson. We could talk about this all the time. We should talk about it all the time. We were made to worship and serve the creator. We were made. And I want to tell you that, that all your sins, all your sins, all your struggles, all your emptiness, all your heartache probably goes back to those things. You're trying to worship something else. You're trying to get your way. You're trying to do it on your own so that you can be thankful for yourself. I want to tell you, that's no way to live. We were meant to worship God and to thank Him for the blessings that He's given us. God, thank you for this time to be in your word. Uh, God, help us to uh, work through this and help us to cling to this in the midst of a world that rejects you. God, help us to understand this better, to walk faithfully with you, to reject sin. God, we don't want to be given up. (laughs) This idea that we would go back to the sins and the passions that we had, that sounds terrible. God, help us to walk faithfully with you. God, bless your church according to your riches, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.